Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Cloud. All right, bleachers are open, and uh, the bleachers are looking a little bit different. We've actually got a pretty solid day out here in Houston. Don't be shocked if it changes in about a half an hour because the wind is kicking up. I'm giving weather reports now on the bleachers, but the wind is kicking up a little bit. And seriously, before this podcast is over, you might end up seeing some rain. And you also might end up seeing a couple of my dogs running around the back, but uh, just trying to mix things up a little bit. Uh, get outside of the house which is a rarity these days out here in the bleachers. We're doing good. Just an idea of what's on tap, brought to you by St. Arnold, of course, our favorite brewery out here in Houston. Tuttle and I are going to talk a little bit about the, the Major League Baseball proposal, which uh, some interesting developments, in the, even in the last 24 hours about that. I'm going to ask Tuttle about uh, the last dance, talk some Michael Jordan and baseball, which I was pretty impressed by what he pulled off. Of course, we've got what will Tuttle say, which everybody's hanging on the edge of their seat for. And I think we've kind of changed up Blum and Blummer. Since we don't have Harry and Lloyd on the, the uh, podcast anymore, I think we might be altering the uh, the program a little bit, calling it Blum's Blast, because every once in a while I've got some things I want to pop off about or inform you about. And, uh, of course, we want to let everybody know that we are on the audio and visual side of podcasting now. So I'm not sure, Tuttle, if you know, is there a word for a, a video podcast or are we just a video podcast? But it's on the social Nostra uh, YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube, search Social Nostra up there, find that channel, subscribe, and you'll get all the updates on on our Bleacher Blums uh, podcast and video podcast. And then you're going to see a bunch of other people out there doing a really good job that we've created a network with. So a lot of fun for us to be able to do that. Or you can just go to bleacherblums.com and find uh, some swag, find the mailbag that we talked about last podcast, and you can also find the latest version of Bleacher Blums and where to find it, both on YouTube. And on the uh, audio side, which is all over most platforms, most notably iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. But this is the moment where I bring in Tuttle. Tuttle, man, even though my, my scenery around me has changed, more of the scenery on top of your skull has changed. What do you got going on? The, the beard is gone. But yeah. It looks like you've moved it. You know, I didn't move it. I just wanted to kind of give everybody a little look-see into the, this is what 60 days without a haircut will do. So I got a little heat miser going today. Thought I it'd be a little heat miser. Yeah. Better way to change up the scenery than move office. I think we finally, I finally got the sound figured out on my end. I'll go sit outside one of these days with my AirPods, but, uh, you know, it just seems like there's an echo and whatnot on occasion. You sound really good today, by the way, with your AirPod look, but, um, you know, we're all in quarantine and, uh, and we're just trying to mix it up, mix up the scenery, mix up what we're doing. So I thought everybody could uh, get a little gig, a lot of the heat miser hair. So, uh, yeah, we, we got a lot of, we got sponsors. We got a lot of read to get into the bleachers here now. So I don't know if that's a, if that's a sign of things to come or, you know, if that's a, if that's we're we're turning and maybe we should invent a word for video podcasters. I think ultimately it's the podcast that gets transitioned into the video side. Um, I know uh, some of the bigger podcast guys just video it, and I think they still stick with podcasts. But I mean, we'll call it a, a vodcast. We'll be the number one vodcast out there. There it is. Nope. Now you just need to hashtag it. <laughs> hashtag vodcast. Nobody, nobody's doing what we're doing. You know. <laughs> well, there are a lot of people doing, but nobody's called it the vodcast. <laughs> there you go. Vodcasting. You heard it here first in the bleachers from Tuttle. There we go. Yep. Family good. Everything's going all right. You guys are grinding it out. Uh, some of the news out in L.A. County was kind of interesting that I saw yesterday. They're extending it for another three months, the uh, lockdown stay-at-home situation. I'm glad I'm in Orange County because, I, I mean, right? they're still having the beach wars, but L.A. County does not, uh, at least it infringes on Orange County, uh, uh, on Orange County, but I don't think we're going to have to follow their policies. I mean, this is a little bit unnerving in the sense that we talked about Texas and, you know, the governor of Texas being kind of on the forefront. And I realize that there are, you know, still at risk people out there and, and we need to continue to kind of be cautious of that. But I, I think, again, typical of California, we've turned this into like a political discussion. And I don't think there's data on either side of this. And I think we've talked about this. This is the practical thing. If you're an at-risk person and you're worried about getting COVID, we can all wear masks to a restaurant. We can all wear masks when we go to the grocery store and just be cautious of the other people are around. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be able to go to the store or we shouldn't be able to go to a restaurant if we feel like 
we are comfortable in our surroundings and comfortable with doing that. I feel like, again, this is um, kind of the needs of a few that are, are going to be kind of pushed onto the masses here the, uh, versus the needs of the many. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, without getting too deeply political on that part, I do feel like, you know, if LA County, I mean, there's just no way they're going to be able to do it for uh, three more months. And there's one of my favorite uh, representatives to our house in uh, Texas, Dan Crenshaw, former Navy SEAL, uh, continues to tweet out some of the things about um, the Democrats and maybe their political agenda. But I mean, do we want the country to go in, you know, complete economic downturn and free fall based on the fact that we want to keep, you know, some 70, 80, 90 year old comorbid, you know, people safe? so that they can live another, you know, couple of months or a couple of years. And I, I know that sounds maybe abrupt or, or um, maybe uncaring, but I think that's kind of what California tends to have the reputation. And I just can't believe the fact that Texas is opening up, Arizona is opening up and LA County has to put their foot down and say, all right, we're going to go three more months. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No, I'm with you on that. And it's kind of interesting. And, and, Damn it! Would you stop being so sensible and pragmatic about a lot of these things? I mean, you, you've really thought this through. It's amazing to me that you know maybe you, maybe you'll be the next mayor of uh, you know Ladera Ranch or wherever the heck you're at. But you know, it, it, I agree with you in the sense that you know it, it, there's got to be some sensibility about it, and it's crazy to think that you can be obtuse or you can be you know insensitive in saying that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few kind of thing. But uh, I agree with you in the sense that uh, three more months, it, it would be frightening to know what L.A. looks like after they let everybody out as far as the economy and shops and businesses and people out of jobs and things like that. That's what I'm, I fear most. And to your point, Mother's Day was just uh, last week. And crazy enough, we went out to dinner for Mother's Day at a, at a local restaurant here in uh, Katy, where I'm living in Texas. And, you know, the tables were spread out. It was relatively busy. They had a waiting area that was, you know, off in the parking lot and they were doing their best. Servers had all the masks and gloves on and things like that. But uh, definitely a discrepancy in mentalities as far as Texas and, and California. But I'll talk a little bit more about the California, the L.A. County situation, because that's going to affect the Dodgers and the Major League Baseball proposal. But I want to hit on right now is I think that you and I have become kind of like these T-shirt fiends. And I know that we love pumping our own swag and wearing bleacher blunts and stuff like that. But you've got a great one on by by one of the one of the uh, clothing companies that I know we both enjoy. It's called Link Soul, but they've done a great T-shirt as as Tuttle stands up, and I'll explain it to everybody listening. It says it call this calls for the low stinger, and it's basically a play on words for about flattening the curve. And when it's when the wind's blowing and you want to cut down on that high arcing shot, you hit this low stinger and it's a great t-shirt by link soul. If you go to linksoul.com, obviously you can go out there and get that. But at the same time, I've got one just says rub dirt on it. And this some is dirt a, on it, baby. The yeah. old baseball adage, you got a little injury. Right. Guess what? We're going to rub some dirt on it. <laughs> rub some dirt on it, get back out on the field. And that's kind of where I feel like we're at in the quarantine state. I think a lot of us out here have really hit the wall and we're like, okay, let's just, Let's just see what we can work with and how we can make this uh, manage a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, you can find this at baseballism.com. That's where I find this because I know we get a lot of questions now that we're on our podcast about what we're doing. And uh, if you're on that podcast, you're going to see an ad pop up for Ladder Sports. Uh, we talked about them a couple of times. They've been a great sponsor for us. And it's actually been a lot of fun for me to abuse the code that they've given us to use for 30% off. So I go to ladders.sport and I order my product. I've got the plant protein and actually I'm drinking in my master's cup right now with my Bleacher Blums logo on it. I've got their hydration packet in there, just drops it in there, gives you the right amount of electrolytes, make sure that I'm staying hydrated and so I'm not cramping up because I'm such a high intensity athlete these days. But uh, ladder.sport is where you can find it. And if you enter the code better every day, you will get 30% off their website. And of course, LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger developed this and they've done a very good job in providing a great amount of nutrition. But with that being said, we are going to move on with the podcast. So we appreciate ladder.sport uh, bringing this podcast to you, but we got to get on and talk about this major league proposal because that is the big news that we actually... To Tuttle's and my credit, we actually did a very good job in talking about the NFL draft with Jeff Schwartz, 
moving on to the mailbag, which we greatly appreciate everybody going to bleacherblums.com to find that mailbag and give us questions, give us comments, give us topics to talk about, which did a great job of fulfilling a podcast for us. But what Tuttle and I were trying to do was actually time this out to where we would get some actual Major League Baseball news. And here we sit. Monday, Tuesday, we kind of heard some uh, you know proposals leaking out, some legit, some not legit. <clears throat> and I think that was on Monday. And then we heard that there was an actual meeting between the union and Major League Baseball Tuesday, which was yesterday, what is it, March 12th yesterday. And it was a quick meeting, but I don't think for me, I was a little misinformed because I anticipated everything dealing with money. And the one thing I, I saw come out, there was revenue sharing, which I'm going to get to in a little bit, because I think that's probably the most concerning point of this major league baseball proposal. If that is a part of the proposal, but everything they talked about in the last two days was basically the logistics and the health risks involved for everybody involved from from my side as being a broadcaster to players on the field and how they're going to handle that. And I think those are going to be some extensive conversations. I believe there's a May 31st deadline to get all this done so that they can have that June spring training that they keep talking about. So here it is. I'm just going to get some key points. I know there's a lot involved. I know Tuttle's read up on it and we've talked about it a little bit, but just to read off some of the key points. If they start July 1st or July 4th, which obviously America would be a great time to start uh, the national pastime on. They're going to try, or they're, they're attempting to play possibly 82 games. So that's half a season. Or 81 games is half a season if you want to be really legitimate about it. But 82 games, 80 to 82 games. They're going to up the playoffs from 10 teams to 14 teams, which I think is great. Because if you shorten the season, you open up the playoffs, and you get almost half the league into the playoffs. I, I know it sounds like a lot, but I really feel like this is an opportunity – for the good teams to separate themselves and maybe for some teams that are on the bubble to maybe prove themselves or wash out. So I, I love it. And I hope it open, opens up an opportunity for local broadcasters like myself to maybe jump on and do a first round of playoffs because there's going to be so many games. That's going to be regional divisional play. We talked about this, uh, I believe, a couple podcasts way back. And it's going to be the American League West, National League West, and then Central and East accordingly so the astros are actually going to play a lot of games on the west coast now people who who live in uh, the central time zone and follow the astros and then also with uh, new york and traveling or east coast games what the astros are going to do or what i think is going to happen is when they do play on the west coast and say they're out there for an extended amount of time playing both northern and southern california is that they're going to adjust those start times so that we're not playing every single game at 10 o'clock at night here in Houston. I think that's going to benefit a lot of uh, viewers, a lot of fans, and it's also going to benefit me as a broadcaster because I'm almost, almost, I'm just speculating, not speculating, but it's an educated guess. I will not be traveling. Me and TK and Julia will not be traveling. We may call games in our home park. I'm hoping maybe, but we will not be traveling to the West Coast. Universal DH is being thrown out there. 30-man roster and a 20-man travel squad. So you're going from traveling with 25 players to traveling with 50. That's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. And obviously the revenue sharing, but we'll get to that in a bit. Just on those couple of rules, are you pleased with what you've heard? And Number one, how do you feel about the, the, the rules I just threw out there? And then give me, give me your honest opinion on what, how you feel about this proposal, uh, Mr. Tuttle. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it's not that I haven't given it some thought. I mean, I kind of think that they're, they're putting some great plans in place. I, I know that it's funny because the news that came out yesterday was that they didn't discuss money at all. And, exactly, yeah. And everybody thought that that's going to be the part where, all right, that's where the two parties are not going to see eye to eye. But uh, I think according to the Players Association, they said that they feel like they've already negotiated their dollars, like they don't need to renegotiate because they had that proposal in place. But that's, that's an excellent point. You have to bring that up because you're right. They agreed to this earlier in March. Yeah. But, you know, plans change. And that's the other thing is when, when plans change and you have to adjust your plan, it's very um, difficult to have a successful negotiation when someone plants their flag in the ground and says, look, this is what we negotiated. This is where we're going to stay. So I'm sure that'll be part of it. But I think um, from a political standpoint or, or a, um, 
how it falls on fans' ears, I think the way that it's starting is a good thing because they're not hemming and hawing and fighting over dollars and cents right now. They're talking about logistics. They're talking about the health of not just fans, but the players, the employees and all that. And it's funny because Dr. Fauci was saying, I saw the MLB, um, they tested every employee with Major League Baseball. Um, I think it was about 6,000 people, something like 5,700 people. And less than 0.7% came back with antibodies from COVID. So basically they're saying um, that this was a really extensive study. And if we extrapolate the data out, we realize that this isn't as crazy or as, um, you know, threatening to our employees and threatening to the people that are coming into contact because they said that seven, I think 70% of those 0.7% of people that tested positive were asymptomatic, meaning they felt nothing. They didn't get a sore throat. They didn't get a cough. So that's what those statistics said. I don't know how Mm -hmm. that stuff stayed in my head. I read that yesterday and here it is magically magically popping up with the tall hair. I was going to say, there's something up there containing all that information. I don't know what it could be. So, so anyway, um, I, and I, so I think getting that all out of side, the rule changes, you and I talked about this a few podcasts ago, I'd be really excited to see like Justin Turner's like theory of like extra innings, especially have these travel squads. Let's have the uh, extra innings decided by a home run dual uh, derby. There's um, even talk of a tie. Yeah. Ties yeah. are fine. Universal DH and especially if 14 teams are going to get in. I think we talked about this. I think it'd be really interesting to see it come to fruition. Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, um, you know, these powerhouses are going to have, they don't care if they get a tie, bring me a short series. I'll bring out Garrett Cole and I'll bring out, you know, Justin Verlander and I'll bring out Kershaw and, 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 uh, Bueller, Walker Bueller and Hunjin Ryu. And I mean, we'll, we'll take you down. So that's fine. I, I think it gives everybody kind of, I don't know if it's that hope springs eternal, as we always talked about in spring training, it gives everybody hope to get in. I think you're but, right. But in a short season, those teams are going to have a field day. And as everyone says, you can always put an asterisk by everything. Um, you know, an 82-game season be a reason for an asterisk. But I, as a player, tell me what the rules of the game are. Tell me what I need to do to, to be successful in that, in that environment and give me an opportunity to do it. And I think those teams will, will come out ahead. So I do like the rule changes. I like the travel schedule. I like all of those logistical um, brainstorming ideas we'll have to see in terms of health. And then like, as you mentioned already, the political side of it, California, can we play at Dodger stadium? Can we play at the giant oh. stadium or uh, AT&T park? Are we allowed to play in Anaheim? That's in orange County. Maybe the Dodgers play in Anaheim if they don't have the same restrictions. And then ultimately it'll come down to our governor, governor Newsom, who is uh, going to probably take a politically cautious and statistically uh, data cautious uh, um kind of approach to get back into real world. So I do like what you mentioned. I just don't, I don't know how it's going to play out as none yeah. of us do. No, we, we, that, that's the problem. We don't. And we, and, and to your point, even, you know, politically and outside of baseball and life as its own, we, you know, every day is something new and, you know, it seems to be a moving target with a lot of these deadlines, lockdowns and stay at home orders, masks, no masks. Can you go out? Can you not? And it's state to state to your point. We talked about it earlier and uh, you just brought up the LA County being, uh, you know, possibly being a stay-at-home order until the end of August, and that does present the problem for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It also presents a problem, I would believe, for the NFL too, trying to start up their seasons, play some preseason games in their new stadium with the Chargers and Rams, uh, the Tro- USC Trojans, UCLA. I mean, Pac-12 football is going to be in a world of, of issues, but. To your point, do you move the Dodgers into Anaheim? That's an easy fix. But if it does happen in some of these other cities like San Francisco or Oakland, where do they go? Is there going to, are they going to have to go back to their spring training sites? So there's still a lot to be worked out. And I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast need to understand that it isn't just Major League Baseball and a union talking to each other, both sides, even to the point where I've read stories about agents. Uh, you know, Scott Boris and some of these other agents are actually bringing in retired CDC people or retired FDA people who know a lot about, uh, you know, viruses and things like that or about the medical industry. They're bringing them in to get more information to make sure that everybody's educated. And to that point, the federal government and local governments are in touch with Major League Baseball constantly. There is, no, I don't think there's a conference call that goes out where they don't have a legal authority you know, listening in 
and giving updates on what the plan is for the country as a whole and for the community that is how that has the baseball team inside of it because all of these things have to be working together but that leads us into what you mentioned earlier with the revenue sharing and the money probably going to be the biggest aspect of this and i am a little bit concerned just to be honest just having been a player been on the union side and now seeing what i hope I'm, I'm, I've got to be very, again, I've got to be very, uh, you know, easy and diplomatic about how I measure. Yes, measured. Uh, as, you, as you lengthen your afro out. Just trying uh, to make sure it stays up, you know. Uh, well, what kind of product are you going with? Yeah, I don't know. There was a bunch of stuff. I haven't, I've I <laughs> just been wearing a hat during quarantine. So as I long as you don't get like, something about Mary on us, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the product I have in my hair. Thank you. In case you were worried. Worried about that. Sorry to interrupt. I'm glad you. we cleared that up. No. Yes, I'm yeah, sure that's important stuff, man. I, I'm a pomade guy. Yeah. You know, no, I, I like I like a matte pomade, but when I yes. have to get the hair to stand up, then you got to go strong. I got to go. That's, yeah. that's heavy, man. Yeah, this is like some spiky gel that I found under a sink. That's you know, nice. Probably yeah, forty years your, old. Your son T is down there going, "What happened to my gel, man? Where'd yeah, you go? that's right. <laughs> I got it. I stole it. Um. Anyway, you're talking about the revenue sharing specifically and being measured. Yes, because you brought up very two very good points, and I think that they need to be acknowledged. In March, we talked about how they were going to uh, offer the players $170 million to split amongst themselves to kind of get them to that May 31st deadline. And at the same time, both entities basically in a handshake or a verbal agreement said, okay, if we start a season, it's going to be prorated, which means that there's, you know, if, if we do play 82 games and that's a halfway point in the season, if you're a $30 million guy, you're going to get $15 million. If you're a uh, $500,000 guy at the major league minimum, you're going to get 250 or you're going to get the difference of whatever you've gotten already to move forward. That being said, the revenue sharing would put a dent in that possible paycheck for players because i think that what ownership did is they went through ran the numbers and said wouldn't this be a great time to go revenue sharing and use the pandemic man i don't want to say that but i feel like there there might be an opportunity for for major league baseball let's say rob manfred rob manfred using the pandemic to leverage or pressure the players into an agreement they don't like for the rest of the 2020 season then you get to the off season and you start your collective bargaining agreement. That is the CBA that we continue to talk about. And this is something that Tuttle and I will get into. He's been on the agent side. So, you know, he's been on the player and agent side of a collective bargaining agreement and how it affects baseball. But my concern is, is if you give in now, what are they going to ask for later? And I think that's where players usually go is we don't want a cap. We don't want a soft ceiling. We don't want a soft floor. They just want to have market value when they negotiate contracts. And that allows ownership or, you know, it doesn't allow the market to take shape and actually leverage a player's ability to go out and make a lot of money. It allows the revenue to dictate salaries. Now, correct me if I'm wrong or if you think differently of this, but that's how I'm trying to explain the revenue sharing. I think the revenue sharing is based on income instead of, value of talent and that's where the players could take a bit of a hit as far as salary moving forward because we're not we're not sure what this situation is we're not sure if national tv is going to be able to pick up enough uh games to be able to fulfill their contract and pay things out and we know that a lot of revenue is based on ticket sales and concession sales but i think baseball is different in the sense that their tv contracts are what drive a lot of of money and salary and things like that but uh they keep throwing out well what if it's better than you think that's a big if when you've already guaranteed me half my contract but that's where i become a little fearful in the sense that this is going to have a tough time getting off the ground if that's their expectation to go with revenue sharing on the owner's side uh do you have any thoughts or am i way off base help help me help help everybody understand this as best we can Help me help you. I, uh, yes, I, you know, Jerry. I don't, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, you have a little more knowledge about the inside workings of in terms of the players and whether they get bitter or not. I, I said this earlier about negotiating. I mean, a good negotiation is where both sides kind of come out feeling like they got the best of it. I think that's where Boris gets a lot of heat often is he doesn't care about, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, he kind of uses his leverage with his players, some of the best players in baseball, to kind of hold it over the teams and hold them hostage. And I think nobody... And he's not worried about public opinion either. No, I feel no, like that's playing. That's going to play into this a little bit because of the, the, the sensitivity of the con- current situation. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is to take him out of that, I'm saying is that you... He, he doesn't have any concern about uh, the, the, like you said, the court of public opinion necessarily. Whereas in a good negotiation, like you brought up Rob Manfred, Rob Manfred and uh, Tony Clark should have some sense of what the public's going to think about these guys fighting over dollars and cents. But also, are we both coming to the table with good intentions and are we both trying to maximize the value for our sides? And I think, if, like you said, if, if the players feel like they capitulate at this point, um, then they're going to want more in the end. You know, we're all competitive. Like, all right, we're going to give you this uh, little nugget or this carrot now, but when it comes time to renegotiate at the end of this season, we're really going to give it to you. We're really going to, and it, you don't want to go into any negotiation, negotiation with that mentality um, on either side, because if the, if the owners feel like they're getting railroaded or they're feeling like, well, we gave them this little carrot and now they're going to hold us hostage. And, like you said, it's not really good faith negotiating. The other thing I wanted to bring up is Jeff Schwartz said this on our uh, podcast, two podcasts ago, about the uh, football team, uh, college football losing about $50 million. I think it was in the SEC, $50 million if they play the season with no fans. And so I think to your point about the 82 game season, I mean, we don't know that revenue sharing sounds great, but if you're going to, you know, if, if we translate what he said about $50 million less in the kitty because they're not playing these football games with fans, I mean, 82 games with a couple broadcasters and some peanut vendors and no fans is a lot different revenue share than, as you know, from being a player in the playoffs and the division series and the, and the championship series point. and the World Series. Mm-hmm. That revenue, that little cut of your revenue, although you're not getting paid your salary, is great because the stadiums are full and people are buying, you know, popcorn and beer and garlic fries. Um, you know, I, I just think all of that stuff and, and most of these negotiations will ultimately come down to dollars and cents. And so I think, um, yes, if they negotiate in good faith, we can we can make some progress. But if this is we're going to hold them hostage now or we're going to give them a carrot now so that it's tougher later, we're going to be in a tough situation if not now, certainly before the end of the next season. And wouldn't it be hilarious to get through the coronavirus? Hilarious, he says, with air quotes. And then have a strike. Oh, hello, doggy. (laughs) That's not my dog. Um, Have a strike or um, have a strike or some sort of work stoppage while they try and... uh, while they try and get this out when, when the coronavirus has actually kind of now been put on the back burner and we're ready to go. Now they have a work stoppage because of greed or um, some animosity. That would be a terrible situation to find ourselves in. No, it would be tough. And just to kind of close out this, uh, this conversation, because we, it is kind of preliminary and we do want to touch on it. We want to establish basically our own baseline of what we're talking about. But uh, you need to remember everything we, I mean, I feel like this has just been a constant theme, but maybe we should change the name of our podcast to risk versus reward. And you think about the risk, you know, what is the risk on the ownership, Major League Baseball side? What is the risk on the player side? And I feel like it's greater on the player side. And don't leave any shadow of a doubt. I am heavily biased towards a player. And that was basically when I started broadcasting, I said to myself, I, you know, I, I took the blue pill and I said, player, 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 player. Um, because it, the game is hard. Negotiating is hard. Their earning window is so small. You know, this might be the one opportunity for a guy to get up and get in the big leagues and try and establish himself. So I'm thinking about that guy. But I'm also thinking about the guy who's going into free agency who has maybe the next three years to maximize his earning value like a George Springer or a Mookie Betts where these guys might see that free agent market just get crushed by this whole coronavirus thing too. So in talking about risk on the ownership side, what do we keep talking about? Financial. They're going to take a hit just like every single business in the universe right now. They are going to take a hit financially, and that's where their risk is involved, and that's what they're trying to mediate is their risk. On the other side, the players are risking financial also, their income, but they're also risking their health. They're the ones that are putting themselves on the field and traveling, getting on a plane, going to a hotel, eating food, and playing against other players in a potentially hazardous environment. I think that's where 
that's uh, that's where I think the players actually have a little bit more leverage on the ownership to say, you know what, even though you want this, the pro we're the product. And if you don't have the product, you're not going to be able to put on a show. So that will do it for our Major League Baseball proposal talk. I want to talk a little bit of good stuff because I want to get into what I'll tuttle in just a minute. But there was something fascinating that everybody's watching nowadays called The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, uh, that great era of basketball that Tuttle and I grew up uh, watching. But there was a in the middle of that whole career of Michael Jordan, he made the choice to go play double A baseball. And that, this is where Tuttle's going to jump in because he actually had the opportunity to play in the same league as Michael Jordan. So I don't want to get too crazy with this. I want to let Tuttle kind of drive the ship a little bit. But the fact, I want to read off some numbers. I actually wrote these down about uh, Michael Jordan. At the age of 31, a rookie in double A. And double A is a very prospect heavy league, which Tuttle will point to. So Michael Jordan, after probably not playing since high school, went from the NBA MVP world championship Chicago Bulls to hit 202 for the Birmingham Barons, three home runs. He had 51 RBIs and stole 30 bags in one season. I think that's awesome. I think it's incredible. I think it's remarkable that he was even able to do that. Tuttle, give me an idea of that whole situation. And do you think it's impressive or not? You know, I do. I, people are giving Tim Tebow a hard time, and I thought he did okay as well. But I also think, um, you know, 202 is not going to get you to the big leagues. So, and I realized he hadn't played in a long time. He did get a lot of extra attention. Um, his hitting coach was my, I would say my hitting coach. Of course, I didn't have a hitting coach, but the hitting coach for our AAA team, uh, Mike Barnett, Barney, he was a great guy. And he and Michael are still close to this day. I mean, the thing that did impress me, hitting 202 or not, is he had resources, he had means, he had fame, he had all these things, and he decided to humble himself and go there. And he could have easily just said, yeah, you know, something I want to try out as a hobby. And if you ask Barney about his work ethic, and we saw it a little bit on Last Dance, I mean, he was, he was in there taking hacks every day. Every single day he was taking hacks. And we that opened is impressive. The, we opened the season. I want to say, I mean, my memory, man, this is a long time ago, 20 years ago. You know what the beauty of this is, though? When we do this, you can make it up, man. Ah, no, we can go back and check. But we opened the season against Birmingham in Chattanooga. So they had gotten their press out of the way. And I think we typically had about 2,000 to 3,000 fans a night. There were 14,000 fans. As a matter of fact, in, Bur in uh, Birmingham, in Chattanooga, they had a cinder block wall that was like um, two walls, right? So it was probably a 15 to 18 foot high wall and there was railroad tracks behind it. That was our home run fence. Like guys would hit rockets off that and the ball would come bouncing off. They put a temporary fence and you can look in the last dance video if you pause it, the, the show. They put a temporary fence in front of that so that they could put fans out there. And so- oh, really. For a, for a four-game series against Birmingham, you could hit the ball about 10 to 15 feet shorter, 20 feet shorter, and still end up with a home run. So, no. with, I mean, that's, that's how crazy it was. So I do remember how bonkers it was. And I will – I showed you this before the podcast. It's hard to see. I didn't take it out of here. But um, my Michael Jordan autograph ball – where's the autograph? It's right there. So Dude, that's legit, man. I rarely have any sort of autographs. I don't collect autographs. You know, you know, being a this former player. This is once player, in a like, lifetime. Yeah, once in a lifetime. I'm like, and, and on a baseball. It's not like I was at a basketball auction. I'm like, hey, we were in batting practice. And it was hard to ask him. But, you know, we would send balls over. I mean, he, he got used to it. He was super accommodating. Fun guy. That's, to have what, a, that's what's crazy to me, too, is that he understood the situation and was very accommodating to sign that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did that constantly. And I think he just, you know, I mean, he must have been used to it with basketball as well. But it was really hard to be, you know, I mean, you knew guys, I mean, we were all trying to aspire to be big leaguers. And, you know, some of us got there and, you know, we'd have guys come down and rehab in AAA. I mean, you felt like you were one of those guys. But when Michael Jordan, you're playing baseball against Michael Jordan, there is no concept. I mean, this is probably one of the most famous people on the planet. And you didn't think of him as a baseball player. So it was really weird to see him in a uniform and doing that. You know, it was, it was a little otherworldly. I mean, it really was. And, and I think um, to your point about double A being a challenge, I mean, I, I had made a couple of A-ball all-star teams. I was still a young guy that year. Um, I was 24 years old. I had a, I had, a, I thought I pitched pretty well. I probably walked too many guys. My record wasn't great, but uh, we've talked about some guys. I mean, Jason Jombie was there in Huntsville. 
Um, there were tons of guys in that league. Um, what, and you um, had Jambi's numbers. What did he, what did he hit to? He, he yeah. So like that year the they had that. him. Yeah. So again, this, this goes to what we always say about in spring training. How you feeling champ? Like I feel good. I'm just working my arm back into shape versus, Oh, I got to make the club. I can't make the club in the tub. I'm out there throwing a hundred every day. Yeah. Giambi was a teammate of mine on team USA. We talked about that. Um, he was in double a at 23 years old and I think he had like 223 you know, seven or eight home runs, something like that. And yeah. Tuttle, Tuttle puts went, things in perspective. Yeah. Tuttle had an ERA of like four and a half, which is pretty good for being a 24 year old in double a, the record wasn't great. But uh, like I said, you know, that's, that's kind of the make or break season. And, and, and back to the Jordan point. Um, I think he played against a lot of good talented guys. Uh, John, um, uh, John, no, I want to say Bieber. That's not right. Oh man. Oh gosh. <laughs> For the Pirates, oh, he came out. Lieber, I want to say oh, Lieber. Yeah, John, yeah, John Lieber, Lieber had a good year that yeah. year. That's right. Brad Radke was in the league that year. I mean, there was a ton of guys that came out of that league that had good big league careers. And so that'll give you, yeah, Brad Radke, John Lieber. Um, oh, I man, think, those uh, Minnesota Jay- teams back in the back Yeah, in the Jason. Minor. Yeah, that was – yeah, and uh, LaTroy Hawkins was on that team. So yeah, Radke and, L- Radke and LaTroy Hawkins were on the same team. Uh, Jason Kendall was the catcher in Carolina with uh, John Lieber as a pitcher. I could – you know, my 20 year old yeah. brain shake the cobwebs off. I mean, there was, there were plenty of dudes that made the big leagues. And so those are the kind of guys that Jordan was facing. And so it gives you an idea. Like you said, it's not to diminish that he hit 200. I don't know if I was like, wow, he hit 200. It was that he had a good work ethic. He was very accommodating. Um, as I mentioned, I don't collect autographs and, uh, and the last dance really, you know, it always lets you bring up memories. Uh, I saw yeah. CJ Nikowski, a teammate of mine, uh, posted something about the last dance because the game where Jordan hit his first minor league homer was off a guy on our team, uh, Glenn Cullop and CJ was saying that was the game he started, you know, Glenn's like, I started, uh, <laughs> CJ's like, I started that game, you know? So anyway, it just kind of more than, you know, brings you attention. It kind of just reminds you of all these trials and adventures and experiences that you had. And I will say, I mean, there was never a series at, in Chattanooga at that stadium, um, before or after that I experienced, cause I was there a couple different years up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like that first series when Michael Jordan showed up and, you know, it was like the circus arrived in town. And I know you've had that experience, either it be championship series or world series, like all these people coming mm-hmm. and going, but man, Michael Jordan was really, uh, um, a wave, a tidal wave of, uh, of media and a tidal wave of, uh, yeah. kind of exposure for lack of a better man. Word. No, the excitement, yeah, but everything, everything that I saw in there, and it's kind of interesting that you know, like you said, he could have just taken it back and been like, "Hey, I'm going to go over here and mess around, play some baseball." But he took it seriously because I think there was part of him, and I don't know if it was on that last dance, but I've heard interviews where he he understood that he was taking a guy's spot on the team, and his way of paying respect to whoever that was was going out there and working his tail off. But I think that's also interesting that, you know, he was an MVP in basketball. He understood how good he was, still worked as hard, and took that same mentality over to uh, baseball, which was a lot of fun. And just, you know, the 51 RBIs I thought was impressive. He was, you know, he was up uh, one of the leaders in that. It tells you some of the hits he was getting with, were with guys on base. And then the 30 stolen bases kind of jumped out at me. I knew he was fast. Yeah. But at the same time, you kind of have to have a little bit of savvy or you have to have a little bit of understanding of the game to be able to pick up on some of the nuances to be able to steal a bag, know when to go, uh, when not to go, and how to get in the bag. So I thought that was kind of fun to talk about. But speaking of savvy and understanding the game, I don't have my graphics with me, but we're going to move on this uh, this vodcast, as Tuttle called it, into what will Tuttle say? Take it away, Tuttle. Nice. Thanks, Blummer. Uh, what'll Tuttle say? Your favorite segment, my least favorite segment. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm always, I'm always searching for topics. And as we know, they're usually customer service related, but um, I'm actually going to, it's not trying to be contrarian, but I'm going to, I'm going to give Trevor Bauer some props here on you mean uh, Tyler. Yes. Tyler Bauer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know it's Trevor, but they love calling him Tyler. That's right. They screw it up. Well, only down here in Houston, he's known as Tyler. Yeah, that's Tyler Bauer's uh, phone number. So um, I'm going to give him some props. <laughs> I'm going to give him some props because I know he is uh, vaunted and hated, and he and Bregman have gone at it a little bit. That was kind of seemed more in fun, but he does seem to be a weird bird. I know Garrett Cole and he were teammates at UCLA, and I know the coach over there. And, you know, he could probably tell you some stories off the record about uh, – 
you know, although they went to the uh, College World Series and did really well, I just think, uh, you know, he's always been kind of an odd guy and he does his own thing. And we've talked about this too, personally, um, guys that march to the beat of their own drummer. But um, he was on a Zoom call with ESPN the other night and on FaceTime and they posted his actual phone number at the top of the screen, just like this. And I just was like, he just said, thanks ESPN for posting my phone number. And it was funny to talk about it in my house because my wife's like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, do you think people will call him? And I'm like, oh my God, that's a huge deal. He's going to get crushed because of his reputation. Maybe somebody, you know, people reach out and say, Tyler, Trevor, you're my favorite. Oh gosh. But there will also be some people that are dying to get a hold of that. It's going to be 50-50. Yeah. So you do not want to release, when you're a public figure or uh, have the the attention of, um, the general public, the GP, as you like to say, you do not want to release that phone number, but man, give Trevor Bauer some credit, Tyler Bauer in Houston, folks, Trevor Bauer to the rest of the world. He (laughs) doesn't seem to miss an opportunity for publicity, but he also seems to have the spirit. And this is why I'm bringing it up. The spirit of what a professional athlete is, which is let's, you know, um, adapt and overcome, right. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. identify, adapt and overcome. I think that he, he, so as soon as he saw that his number was on ESPN, I'm sure his phone started blowing up. He put out a tweet said, thanks ESPN for you know ruining my day. Um, they apologized, I believe, but he put a contest. He goes, now that my phone number's out there, he goes, I'm gonna send a pair of autographed shoes to the uh, person who follows the rules on my voicemail. So he actually recorded a voicemail oh, wow. with some rules, like a, like a treasure hunt or a, uh, like a scavenger hunt type thing. Um, if you do this, this, and this, I will send you a pair of autographed cleats. And he said, now I'm off to change my cell phone number. And I just thought, so super funny, very publicity heavy, um, ESPN, big faux pas. They do not need to be putting anybody's cell phone numbers on uh, national television. But I thought the way he handled it is not just indicative of um, maybe a guy with a good sense of humor and some fun-loving kind of spirit in him, but the way he handled it was the sign of a professional. And I think we talk about this all the time and people are like, well, how do I get my kid to, you know, um, be a better baseball player? How do I, you know, when do I get them started in this? And when do I get them started in that? And I really thought, you know what? There are so many people that could be so upset about having that get out and their phone getting crushed and what, what's going on with this world. And, you know, it's, you know, it's BS. And, and he basically turned it into a contest to win a pair of autographed shoes. I'm sure he changed his cell phone number, but also that's what happens when you're playing sports. Yeah, what are you going to do? The shortstop just made his third error in the same inning, you know, spoken like a pitcher. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to stand there on the rubber and like yell at him and stare at him? No, you're going to get the ball and you're going to get back and try and get the next guy out. And I really feel like that, that's what Trevor did. He he was not happy about it. He has to go to the the cell phone store, oh, yeah. as they call it, right? He has, since, yeah. yeah, right. It's just a hassle. It's like having somebody break into your car, or having to file an insurance claim. It's just a thing that you don't want to have to do. And he didn't have any sort of um, responsibility in having that happen. You know, it happened to him. He didn't do it. And he had to go out and make the adjustment. And the way he handled it was great. And I think it's a good example. We talk about this all the time. It's a good example of how, how to handle a situation. Because in life, you're going to be throwing things. You know, having your phone number put out to the national public is not like the worst thing that can happen to you. But it is a good example of how to... Um, how to, how to respond to challenges. And I thought he did it really well. And I think it's probably indicative of, you know, a pitcher's mentality, probably a hitter's mentality too. If you, you know, punch out four times on uh, one game and the next day it's a day game and you're up, you know, mm-hmm. leading off, it's not a, it's not an easy situation to deal with. And uh, I thought he did it really well. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, I think you're right. And I saw that and it actually went better than I thought it would because you, I think that he is a volatile personality depending on his environment. But I agree with you in the sense that, you know, he handled it with a word that I don't think gets used often enough. And it was actually pretty graceful uh, in the sense that he could have snapped. You're right. He could have been like, damn it, son of a, and hung up the phone real quick and just bailed on ESPN and, and, and snapped on him and, probably picked up the phone and everybody that called him and, you know, aired him out or whatever. But uh, he did handle it with a certain amount of grace. But I do think that that exposes probably the better side of Trevor Bauer. I played with him in Arizona, had no problem with him. We have the same agent even to this day. So I, 
I think we still have the same agent to this day. I'd have to double check, but <laughs> I have experience with the guy. So, I mean, I know him and I appreciate him and I've never had a problem with him. And I think that he is one of the few guys out there. Alex Bregman's kind of one of those guys that's coming around a little bit, maybe the modern day ball player, you know, handling the social media and engaging, whether it's good or bad with fans. But uh, he's definitely created a niche for himself where, you know, when baseball is over for him on the field, I think he's going to have a pretty, uh, pretty good career outside of baseball, too, which is, you know, relatively smart as far as branding yourself and moving forward in uh, this day and age where you can be an influencer on Instagram, you can be a, a Twitter commentator, or you can move into the broadcast booth where I know he's done some work with MLB Network. So good on him for handling it. And, and, and again, we talk about examples, being role models, whatever you want to call it. But what a great example in a sense of not being that uh, superstar that's like, oh, no, what about me? He kind of went, eh, it's out there. How are we going to make this a good situation? I think that's how we all need to kind of look at life itself is how do we make uh, lemonade out of some sour lemons sometimes or chicken salad out of something. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, Blummer. That's exactly what I was thinking. And, and let's use our platform to set a good example. And I felt like he did that. The last thing I want to say uh, on what will Tuttle say a quick little um, note I saw this week also, and we're sticking in the baseball theme. Uh, Gagne, Eric Gagne came out and um, said that about 80% of the players in his locker room as a Dodger were doing uh, steroids. And you and I talked about this on this podcast before, and I didn't realize what I was up against. Um, I was a little bit older than you and probably a little bit pre, um, uh, pre everybody's sharing the information, meaning there were guys doing it, but they weren't sharing it in the locker room. And then it got to be a little more accepted within the locker room. Now, mind you, not necessarily everywhere else. I know it was still illegal. But man, you know, I knew Gagne did steroids. Everybody did. You know, I, I, fa I faced him in double A. He was throwing 94, threw hard, four pitch pitcher, got it all. And then he got to the big leagues and he couldn't fit in his uniform. And he was throwing 100. I think it was pretty easy to figure Every out. Every day. Yeah. Oh. But then you start, he says 80% of guys, you know, well, Paul LaDuca got popped and Guillermo Moto was on that team. And then you start, I mean, I want to go through that roster and go, hey, that guy too. I played against, you know, the Dodgers in A ball and double A and triple A. They were in all the all the same leagues I was in. So, um, you know, I think they were in Vegas when uh, when I was playing uh, AAA against them. And uh, I just it's frustrating to hear in that regard. Um, but it's also that it was so secretive. And I think it was a little more prevalent in terms of guys in your era. And you are you and I are about three years apart from mm -hmm. how we came up. But it was really interesting because. I mean, I heard of guys like dropping syringes in the stall in the bathroom or guys going, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just taking this cycle now or something like that. Like when I was playing, nobody said they were doing it. Nobody said anything. They went away, you know, throwing 91 and they came back to spring training throwing 96. And it wasn't that. And I'm not saying I would have done it anyway, but man, don't be afraid to share the information when you're all going through it. But uh, it's it's a little disheartening. Um, I wonder if the Dodger fans, uh, being this uh, fairly Houston Astros heavy podcast, will acknowledge the fact that the environment you're in uh, sometimes dictates the ethics that you have uh, from rooting for your team. And, no. you know, the, the, do the Dodgers have, you know, better ethics than the Astros no. with the garbage can incident? I don't know. So we can bring that up another time. That, that's an excellent point. And uh, that I, I actually had a comment. I don't know if you sent it to me or somebody else, but I said, not shocked. And it, it actually... It picked up a little bit of steam. So I appreciate you bringing this up on our podcast here that, uh, you know, I'm not shocked. And I want you to think about this, Tuttle. So once you got to the big leagues, there was nobody, there was no testing for steroids. And so there was a, there was a certain level of, I don't want to say comfort, but there was a little bit of confidence in the fact you knew you weren't going to get popped for it or suspended at the time. So that's where I think it opened up to a little more of the conversation you know, there were some trainers around the league or some trainers that guys were going to where you could kind of go, well, you know, hypothetically, if I were to do this, how would it affect, you know, then you'd start to have these conversations. And uh, the, the biggest thing for me was that everybody wanted to stay on the field as long as they could. So they were, that's how I believe steroids kind of started. And then all of a sudden you had guys like Gagne, like you said, every single day throwing a hundred miles an hour with an 85 mile an hour split finger from hell. Uh, made it incredibly tough. And that's, you know, where, where I wish, I don't wish, but where I think about what if I had taken steroids, would I have gotten a four-year contract or would I have hit 
20 home runs. You know, that's where I kind of play the what if game. But at the same time, I still take great value and comfort in knowing that I competed for as long as I did against guys like that at the big league level. But I also love the fact that it's Gagne that said it because the misconception is just hitters were doing steroids. What a load of crap. Pitchers were doing this just as much as all of them. Andy Pettit admitted to doing it. You know, there's still speculation around certain pitchers around the league that were doing it. So I, I, I like the fact that it kind of brought the light off the hitters and back onto the pitchers saying, okay, both sides were doing it. But, yeah, kind of a frightening number. Even at 80%, not to be shocked, it's still a frightening number to think about. Yeah, it's a frightening number, and I think you brought up a bunch of things. I have, have that what if, too. Like, what, you know, I, I, I am kicking myself because people like Greg Maddox, and you know, I mean, I know he's a Hall of Famer, but I, I hey, pride hey, myself hey, on hey. being somewhat cerebral, as some pitchers do, Chloe having does, these conversations. Chloe. Like <laughs> Chloe. Um, is being somewhat cerebral, I would have been, uh, I would have been more impressed with myself if I had figured out how to compete against those guys uh, in a more effective manner without doing it. And that, that would have been kind of to your point, like you were able to stick up uh, in the big leagues on big league clubs and do what you did uh, facing guys that were um, juicing and obviously having teammates uh, that did it as well. And I think to my dismay, I think I always want to take the responsibility on my own shoulders. And it was like, man, what I should have done more to figure out how to get these like cavemen neanderthals out like throw the ball slower and you know make them chase more stuff and find a way to intimidate them even though they were all over the plate with their arm pads and testosterone boiling over (laughs) so yeah the frustration is internal but i thought 80 percent seemed like a high number but man i mean it'd be interesting to go through that roster and start going oh yeah i think that guy oh yeah that guy too we already know some of the uh the other guys i mean anyway I, 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 I wouldn't want to belabor that point. It was just an interesting thing that Gagne brought up. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know if he'd ever been popped for it, but he doesn't have an asterisk by his name in the record books. He was damn hard to hit when he was throwing 100, as you said. With he had, like, didn't he set the, re- like, consecutive save record at, like, 89 or something? Yeah, I mean, it's it was 80, 84 consecutive games saved. Yeah, I mean. Oh, man. Talk about lights out. Holy cow. Literally. Most of, he was one of the more intimidating guys during that stretch. He was incredible. It was locked down. Yeah. And they would tell Blummer to grab a bat. Blummer. Oh, yeah. Get up there. Hey, Go we, face we, him. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Skip. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so happy. And all of a sudden, I, I don't even have my foot down yet. And the ball's like, whoosh, right behind yeah. him. I'm like, okay. Now that I've geared up for 100, he'd go split on me. And I was, I was, yeah. It was yeah. How it, it was doing? a lot of fun. Anyway, that's it for Waddle Tuttle say. Ran a little bit long, but uh, a couple of baseball Good stuff, topics today. Man. Yeah, so I, th- we're going to close this thing out. I'm, I've only got a couple of points on Blum's Blast, and it was kind of a realization that I had in watching some of the news, uh, reading Twitter feeds, and trying to get caught up on some of this COVID crisis situation. And I hate to be, uh, you know, this reality check, you know, demonstrative negativity guy that I always am and thank God for Tuttle but what I kind of came to the conclusion of and it's and it's weird to think about it when we're talking about all the crisis on how do we get out of these stay-at-home uh, uh, possibilities we keep talking about the new normal how is baseball going to come back and as I'm looking at the Major League Baseball proposal and I'm, I'm watching the government give their press conferences I'm listening to Dr. Fauci and these guys and I'm, I'm going this thing's never going away there's not a cure. And it was kind of fascinating. And it was kind of that light bulb moment where I went, oh, damn, everything we're talking about right now may be the same thing we're talking about to begin the 2021 season, because we don't know if there's going to be a vaccine. We don't know if there's going to be, you know, a way to, to combat this situation or find a way to lessen the effects of COVID-19. But this thing is not going to go away. Maybe not ever. So I think that kind of, you know, rocked my mentality a little bit, maybe shifted it a little bit to the sense where maybe I do have to up the risk a little bit about what uh, we do moving forward in baseball or what we do moving forward in life, uh, how I handle my kids or when I visit my grandparents and my mom and, and stepdad and things like that, you know. So it was kind of this weird realization. And I just felt like throwing that out there. I don't know if that's going to rock anybody's world who's listening to this podcast or watching it. But the fact that uh, scientists continue to talk about antibodies and vaccines, nobody's talking about a cure. Nobody's talking about getting rid of 
COVID-19. It is a part of our life. And that might be the new normal is understanding that no matter what we do moving forward or how we do it, there's never going to be a right way. There's never going to be the perfect way because it's not going away. So that's kind of uh, my thought on it and a realization. I hope that doesn't, you know, discourage anybody moving forward or if you become a recluse or and stay in your house for the rest of your life i think with it now you know it's going to be a different way of reevaluating how we open up businesses how we open up uh communities and how we open up sports and how valuable we take life that's going to be crazy to think about but uh, i have a happy note what do you got we we, i was just going to say we've talked about a new norm you know wearing masks to the grocery store and things like that i I think that that kind of stuff it's like that might be a permanent thing yeah and i think it's a valid point i mean the people i've talked to or heard of i mean it's kind of like a cold right or strep throat um there is no cure per se but you get you can have two colds in one season you can get a cold at the beginning of winter and a cold at the end of winter the beginning of spring i mean it's it's going to to your point, it's a new landscape, it's a new frontier, but it doesn't mean it's going to be uh, deadly or that we're not going to be able to um, overcome it or adjust our lives accordingly. But I think, yeah, laying in bed and closing your eyes and starting to think about um, getting back to quote unquote normal, I'm not sure, you know, that normal is going to be the same normal that we knew before. And I think it's a, it is a deep thought, you know, it's a deep thought and it's interesting to, uh, to ponder because like you said, we keep talking about getting back into the stadiums and getting back next to people and doing this and doing that. But I think they're going to come up with some, as we always talk about, it's like a risk reward, right? That's the, that's what we're going to call the podcast. It's going to be some risk reward and you know, who's, who's susceptible to this and who's dying from it and what, you know, what risks are we willing to take? So I think it's a valid thought, but it's a, I guess it's a, it's a big one. It's a heavy one. It is a heavy one. It's a little bit of a harsh reality. And you're right. And ultimately, it comes down to risk reward. You know, what are you willing to risk to, to accomplish what you want as far as what you think normalcy is going to be or, you know, uh, to, to, to get sports back in our case. But uh, now that we're on home quarantine, I want to bring up something that brought me actually a legitimate smile to my face when I read it on Twitter. And I think it was on Digital Trends, I, I follow on Twitter. And w- this past Christmas, we bought our daughters a PS4. And that literally was the first gaming, you know, console we had in the house since the girls were, you know, since I was playing. Because, you know, Microsoft would give us Xboxes every once in a while, but the girls weren't old enough to play it. But we have a PS4 upstairs. Girls play the dancing and, you know, and the whole, you know, video, whatever it is. And one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, Mia, has actually been playing Call of Duty. And I'm reading Digital Trends, and it says Tony Hawk is coming back. And I'm going, wait a minute, Tony Hawk? And I vividly remember through all my years in the minor leagues and maybe up in, in, into the big leagues, there were a handful of games that I would go to. And it was those first Call of Duty games where you'd play. But I vividly remember Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 being one of the more fun games I've ever played in my life. You know, the kickflips, the McTwist, the 720s, and, you know, going through some of these landscapes, these, these urban environments that they created. And I'm reading online yesterday that they are going to redo Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. And I went, yes. I am so in. So when they remaster this thing, they said they're going to have the same soundtracks, the same uh, environments. They're going to update some, get maybe get some more tricks in there. But, dude, I am beyond stoked now that we're locked in this environment and I have a PS4 upstairs and they said they're going to sell it in a bundle. In a bundle. Guess who's going to pre-order that bad boy? This guy right here. I have something to look forward to. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. I don't know if you were a gamer, Tuttle, but, bro. All of a sudden, I'm like thinking what Powell Peralta board I'm going to get, how I'm going to decorate, what kind of trucks am I going to get on this thing? Woo-hoo! Game That's on, awesome. brother. That's <laughs> awesome. You know, I was not a huge gamer. I think um, we had a Nintendo uh, that we would take on the bus and we would hook that up to TV, ho- to, uh, wow. ho- you know, uh, TVs in the hotel, but it was hard because you had to unscrew the box on Dude, the TV. That and, is an, un- hey, that yeah. is a, that is a, you had to have the guy that was able to get that little, like, that's right. You had to get that little thing. So that that's right. To yeah. it, man. We had to invent <laughs> our own tool to get the bolt off. You know, you think yeah. you were trying to do it for uh, untoward purposes. Like we need free cables. Like, no, no, we got to get our video game 
Yeah, we're you're not trying for... to get the dirty channels. You're no. trying to get your the, the Nintendo plugged in. That's man. right. We're like, we got to play Home Run Derby all night. We're in like Jackson, Mississippi. Like we got four days here and it's 90 degrees. Yes. Like we're staying in here to play games. The challenge is now having kids as same with you. I mean, your kids are getting back into it. We happen to have a Wii. Um, I think we have a Nintendo oh, nice. Switch. We also have a PlayStation 4 that was given to us. I mean, we have we have a nice. game room with all this stuff. It does not all get played. Like Just Dance on the Wii got played or the sports thing got played. Yeah. Um, I play FIFA on PlayStation with my daughter every once in a while or uh, football, Madden football. But I just, I cannot, I mean, if you got me into Tony Hawk, um, a, a guy that I work with got Doom, the original Doom Ooh. 1 remastered. Yeah. Same thing. It's going to be on oh, PlayStation. Dude. Yeah, they redid the whole thing. <sighs> This yeah, so all these part. old games, right? So well, Doom, it's like these reunion concerts that we always talk about too. We're <laughs> like, well, I'm going to that, dude. That's right. <laughs> so this guy was telling me he's like playing Doom and learning the whole thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, like to redo that again. But the problem is I just don't have time. I get too tired at night. And so oh, like dude, you yeah. said, with quarantine and maybe when you travel, you'll be able to do it. But I just can't see myself going, all right, kids, you go to bed. All right. And then going in there at 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. till like, three in the morning like I, yes i got four hours of gaming and so yeah bleary-eyed the next day so i think the landscape and the world has changed for us too being uh fathers and uh, a little bit older with the uh sleep being super important but uh boy wow. i might have to i mean if tony hawk one and two are as good as you say they are i mean missile command space invaders they're bringing doom they're bringing all Best. that stuff back i'd be interested i guess Dude, yeah, I, I am so in. Yeah, I it was it was addictive where I would spend three or four hours just trying to complete a trick, you know, get the next best board, whatever it was. It was fantastic. So I look forward to uh, vacating the family for a little bit to try and play that game or maybe indoctrinate my kids into it too. But uh, definitely a part of my uh, minor league experience because you brought back some mega memories as far as trying to get that bolt off the back of those TVs in the hotels, man. Because if you were unable to do that or you stripped it the wrong way and you couldn't get connected, what, what, I mean, full deflation, dude. You'd be so depressed the rest of that trip. You're like, I can't wait to get out of this hotel because we're screwed. Or you call the front desk and you're like, yeah, you know what? The connection, I'm like, the TV's not working. The remote, the bed, you know, something's wrong. But can I change rooms? You know, <laughs> trying to get out of there. That's oh, so great, man. So it brings great back memories, so many memories. Those are, we got to have story time with, uh, with Blum and Tuttle just to go over oh. like how we, you know, how many guys we should have some guys on that actually invented the tool, like a socket that would go down and turn somebody. It. You're right. It was like being in Shawshank Redemption. Somebody would like, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. turn a shiv into this like TV contraption <laughs> to get the bolt off the back of the TV, man. It's <laughs> it so true. It's so true, man. So true. Oh, but good job on the podcast. I thought uh, the what Tuttle, you pretty much, nailed it we got fans up to date on the mlb proposal we got to have a little bit of fun to finish it off and brought up some good memories and at the end of every bleacher blums podcast we always like to recognize the military the first responders uh you know the healthcare workers the essential workers that are out there keeping this keeping this machine of what was left of our normal lives moving we greatly appreciate it and obviously all of those who are keeping us safe and serving those who have uh, become stricken with us, this illness that is going around. We greatly appreciate you. And obviously the scientists too, that are out there, hopefully blaring, seek and destroy, like we talked about and have the, you know, the black gear on and getting in there and trying to figure out a vaccine to, uh, to, to help us all get through this situation and get back uh, part of our lives. But one, you know, one group that maybe we mention every once in a while are teachers and I didn't mention how grateful I am for my daughter's teachers doing a great job keeping them engaged. We're coming into the last, I think, five or six days of school before the summer actually starts and the girls don't have to uh, Zoom classes or do their homework online. But we actually have a pretty good follower in Tracy Geyser, who's done a very good job following us. She is encouraging us to continue this podcast slash vodcast now. So we want to give her a little bit of pub. I saw her post a picture the other day. Uh, if you go on my feed and get in there a little bit, and I may actually send this uh, to uh, our, our producer with Social Nostra on our YouTube channel and get her picture up there because she sent a great picture. She's handing out meals. She's getting work to the kids and working extremely hard. And she actually had her Houston Astros mask on. But while she did it, she did a great job of getting some product placement in there and had the Bleacher Blums hat as she was handing out meals and uh, I believe some... Uh, uh, it was some a of the uh, schoolwork. She was, I think, she was cleaning yeah, she was out desks the at the end of the year, so she has to get yeah. all this stuff back. I wanted to, to say uh, equipment. 
I don't know why yeah. I, I couldn't get the word equipment out of my head, That's like right. school equipment. Yeah, it is. But, Pencils, uh, notepads, school equipment, you know, come yeah. on, get with it, yeah. people. But she was getting all that stuff back to her students and she was all geared up. So we, I wanted to give her a shout out. So it's Tracy Geyser. We appreciate the heck out of you. We've seen you in the mailbag. We've seen you on Twitter and we always appreciate the support from all of our fans across the, the country. We, we, I mean, we've gone global a little bit since this social no-show thing has happened. But uh, she teaches third grade at Willow Creek, Willow Creek Elementary in Tomball. So a great big shout out to all teachers, but most specifically on this podcast, Tracy Geyser. Tuttle, before we get away, I want to give you a couple of last words. If you've got them, man. Uh, just to second what you said about the teachers, the healthcare workers, like you said, that's always super important to us. We love that you guys follow and listen and uh, you know rate and review and all the things that you guys do for us. But most most of all, um, wanted to let you know that we're supporting you just the way you guys support us. Um, it's really important to uh, to have people that are willing to do things that others aren't, and uh, and we're very thankful for that. So um, hopefully. You guys are getting used to the interview format and the mailbag format and some of these different, you know, my hair format. We're, we're going to see if we can get a haircut. But, uh, but yeah, but we're, uh, we're excited to uh, continue the podcast, quarantine or otherwise. And uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, more news on the baseball front when, uh, when we reconvene, Mr. Blum. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, we may reach out and see if we can get uh, somebody a little bit more knowledgeable or somebody that can answer some of our questions that we have. Because just like you who are listening or watching this podcast, we are fans of baseball, we're fans of sport. And if we can bring a little extra knowledge to you, that's great. So from my backyard here in Katy, Texas, and from uh, Chloe, who's got a pretty good bark still, and Roxy, the new one, uh, we, uh, we appreciate you watching. We appreciate you listening. Hope you're all being well out there. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Keep up hope, but most of all, continue to get after it, and most of all, believe it.